I think what has a, a large value in life is having fun and interesting things to work on that you think are going to improve the life of others. You know, agreed. And without without ideas, you know, without fresh, interesting ideas, it's far harder to do that. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, we definitely don't have enough ideas. So if that's could. the problem. So uh, please send us your ideas. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 281 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm a spooky skeleton covered in meat. I'm Sam and I'm also spooky, but I'm not a skeleton, just a man. Just a a man made of jelly. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is October 16th, 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be swears in this show, so just know that that's coming. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We uh, grab their money every month, and we like it. So thank you very much. Let's talk about... Life and the world. Uh, so for starters, I have a, a humble brag. What is it? What you got? I, I have a, a a pandemic achievement, uh, which is the the new WoW expansion is, is coming pretty soon. And uh, me and my, uh, my WoW guild, we beat the hardest boss in the game on the hardest difficulty level. Uh, the night before the big change that would make that no longer possible. Mm-hmm. Like we, it came down to the wire. Here's what we I spent. Here's what I want to get with this. Cause I think when most people think like, Oh yeah, you beat the hardest boss, you know, in a game. So what? Right. I mean, that's so what, so what, you know? Yeah. You did yeah. it. But can you at least just give us an overview of like what, what's actually what involved? Is this, what does this mean? Comparatively in here? Yeah. What's, What's a good metaphor? Well, for, I like for to think about it almost like a like a sports team, um, where you know, like on a football team, you've got people playing in different roles. You know, you've got the center who has to they've got to snap the ball to the quarterback who has to know the plays. You've got people running to receive. Everybody's got some kind of a different. I think thing. you used up your whole knowledge about football with those first two. That was it. Stop those were my, I'm going to stop you right there because that's it. That's all I got. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so you've got people who kind of specialize in different roles and they have different, you know, capabilities, strengths, weaknesses. Some of them are big and meaty. Some of them are small and fast. You've got the cartwheeler. You know, you've stuff. got the somersaulter. You've got the, the, mm-hmm. the prancer, all those different yeah. specialties. And we all know that, we all know that like on a football team, you got with 11 people, which is another thing I know about football, uh, with 11 people, that's a lot of stuff to coordinate. You yeah. know, I guess hard. Um, and you have to know a lot of plays. You got to adjust what your opponent's doing. Yeah, it also turns so to this chaos is, the moment the ball moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and things always go wrong and people have to be very quick on their feet and adjust, you know. So this is very similar to that, except this is this is 20 people instead of 11. Um, and instead of the football play being four seconds, it's 13 minutes long. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Or basically, if you, and, if you end up having too many missteps over the course of – 13 minutes. Basically, everybody has to just do their thing correctly Yeah, for 13 yeah. minutes straight. Yeah. So throughout this 13 minutes, there's 
there's an infinite number of things that can go wrong. There's all these things trying to kill you, trying to get you. You know, there's like, you'll be, you'll be fighting a monster and all of a sudden like a, a red splotch appears on the ground under your feet. And if you don't get out in one and a half seconds, you die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's just tons and tons of stuff like that. Um, so I played the role of the healer. So one of my jobs, like my big job is to just keep people alive because people are always taking damage from all kinds of stuff um, that they can't avoid. You know, and it's my job to just keep everybody like as healthy as possible so they can keep killing stuff. Uh, so, so we worked on this boss, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays from, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., uh, every week for eight weeks. And mm-hmm. it took us 380 attempts <laughs> to get this boss down. That's wild. It was, uh, the the amount of the the amount of nerd screaming on voice chat when this <laughs> boss died was was it was incredible. That's awesome. Congrats. Uh, That's a great. Yeah. So you know it's yeah it's been pretty fun because you know we're all locked in the house. Uh, can't go see movies. Can't go do you know pretty much anything. Can't go to dinner parties. Uh, so kind of like having this this team activity to work toward and and, and achieve something difficult. Uh, from the from the safety and comfort of my own home during this these past months has been you know it's been it's been pretty good yeah there's frankly. this well, there's this concept in psychology called I think it's called crowd effervescence which is basically the feeling you get when you're in a large crowd that's all doing the same thing it's like when you're at a concert and it's just this kind of like yeah. you know where you're kind of riding the vibe of this is that the, is that the nice name for a herd mentality because I'm pretty sure <laughs> probably <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> Um, so, Not to be confused with mob mentality, but similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all they're all related. And yeah. so I think it's interesting because in, in uh, when you're talking about games and kind of the, an interesting purpose that they can have, because gameplay is still up tremendously, uh, you know, during this time. And I think one of the one of the interesting places they could fill in uh, that basically nothing else can. So like you can't get this quite from you know watching shows, reading books, is that feeling of of being uh, in a sort of in bodily almost in a place with you know, 20 or 30 other people, uh, especially in the case of you're working for 13 minutes and not like focusing so hard to not make a single misstep. Uh, it's basically like doing a long form dance choreography uh, with 20 people over the, over yeah. the web, right? Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, and it's largely scripted in the sense that like, you kind of know what's going to happen at minute six and at minute seven, you know, there's small amounts of randomness in there, but um, yeah, it really is the case that, and also you, there's this really interesting thing that I that I noticed is is you can actually watch the learning curve happen in real time because what would what would happen is like if we got to a new part of the fight that we hadn't gotten to before like maybe maybe our first 50 attempts we only got 3 minutes in you know mm-hmm. and then suddenly we figure we like we something clicks and we figure it out and we jump into the next phase of the fight where new, now something new is happening and we all you have to do some new thing and even though even though we've all sort of like watched videos, we've read some guides, so we know what's coming. But that's very different than doing it. And so what happens inevitably is like we'd get to this new phase and it's just like all hell breaks loose. Like pe- <laughs> people are just running in random directions. They are just like they just stop doing any of their jobs, mm-hmm. you know. Nobody's healing, nobody's fighting anything. The tanks are just running off into the corner to hide. Uh <laughs> And like that's and that's that's how it always happens the first time we encountered a new thing, um, even even when we knew, and then the second time it's like 
People are still panicking, but they're starting to do a little bit of the thing that they need to do. And it really does take like 10 to 15 times of seeing the same thing before you sort of take in the knowledge about the new circumstance and also, you know, your job. And you can just kind of do what you need to do without, you know, shitting the bed. Well, this um, whole idea of moving from, from conscious uh, awareness of what you're doing, which is slow. Right. So for example, yeah. seeing the red thing and being like mentally being like, Am I supposed to get out of that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We get and then being dead. Uh versus just having it happen magically, right? Uh yeah. because you've been well, it was place. dude, it was so much like that feeling of driving a car. Because you know, yep. I, I yep. this is one of my favorite analogies is is if the first time you started driving a car, literally everything was just a panic inducing nightmare. And you're checking your mirrors and you're freaking out, you know. And then if, you well, know, you're, you're later, trying to remember, so you're explicitly like, "Oh shit, I need to check my mirrors." Yeah, it's been eight everything seconds, is so conscious. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and then eventually you can drive to work and then just not even remember having done it. And it actually reached a point in this because like we did this fight 380 times, right? And there's this this thing that happens in the first part of the fight where basically like we split into two groups. Okay. And like group one goes and does this thing, and group two does this other thing, and then we switch. Mm. And we and we do the opposite of what each other did. Presumably the and whole group few, has to switch, otherwise everybody switches. Yeah. yeah. So now like group one does thing A, group two does thing B, and then later group one does thing B and group two does thing A. But there's so this is like the first thing takes like three minutes, and the second t- thing takes like three minutes, and they're the same thing, right? You just you just switch. Mm-hmm. So uh there were so many times where we would do that first three minutes. But we had done it so many times that many of us would like we're just on autopilot as if we're as if you're driving to work, mm-hmm. and then people would just go back in because they had forgotten that they had just done it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild, you know. But that level, uh, of, but yeah, it was, level of automaticity it was, is what's required then to like to execute at that high of a level, right? Like you have to, yeah, yeah. You have to just have everything. Uh, fully automated mm-hmm. in, in your mind, uh, so that you're not panicking. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of cool because you there's not a lot of of scenarios where you get to just like s- see that learning curve happen just in such obvious terms in real time. You know, over the course mm-hmm. of eight weeks like that. Um, so yeah, that, that was super fun. Very pumped about it. Um, but raiding is done now. the The new expansion is coming, and there's like three weeks of downtime, so things are going to be a little a little boring for a while. Uh, we got to talk about Meat Piece Ween. Yeah, it's coming up. What's the deal? Well, we got uh, you know one of our podcast listeners, Dwarven Jester, sent us, as is custom now, uh, the lots. The lots being a tremendous amount of M&Ms. Lots of M&Ms. And yeah. the funny thing this year is because you know, in years past, we've all been gathering in a physical space to work. Now, this year, Dwarven Jester somehow had my home address, but no one else's. And so <laughs> he has a particular set of skills. I have, yes. Yeah, so I have you got Liam a tremendous number of Eminem bags and uh, the lots, if you will, for Meat Piece Ween, which is our Halloween Thanksgiving sort of combo, our spookiest holiday. And uh, I believe I'm supposed to go drop these off with Adam and Seth. Whether or not that happens, I'm gonna be honest. It's uh it's not looking good for you guys, you know. <laughs> Twenty twenty. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, yeah. You could just put them into your paunch. You I know? am acquiring. Yeah, I'm acquiring a tire <laughs> around the midsection, so I'm your just going to kind of pack tire. them. 
in there. I mean, I downed a whole a whole bag of double stuff Oreos this week, so I'm feeling Oof. pretty good about my my paunch development. That's you good. know, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought so, you know, uh, make sure everyone knows that it's Meat Peace Week coming up, uh, or I guess happening. We never established what the day is for it. I think it just is vaguely around Halloween, or even what exactly it is, because also Seth and I are largely vegetarian at this point. So yeah, that's true. We used to gather around a meat piece. What happens if the meat piece is no longer meat? Can you yeah. have meat piece? Now ween? it's just f- food ween or maybe chocolate ween. Mm-hmm. Chocolate ween yeah. sounds excellent. <laughs> chocolate, <laughs> chocolate ween sort of takes away because like meat piece ween has a has still a very spooky vibe to it because meat is the flesh of an animal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but chocolate ween, does, there's nothing. Doesn't, doesn't even have much of an edge yeah. to it. <laughs> no edge on that at all. Uh, it sounds like but, a frolicky event. What about Coco Ween? You know, Coco Ween. Well, that's just my dog, Coco. That's her. No. That's her birthday. So that's not. That's not scary either. Nope. Uh, oh, I got nothing. That we need know. to. Yeah. So we wait. Why did we do we, Meat Piece Ween? I thought was uh, like a time between Thanksgiving and, and Halloween. Is that what it was? Uh, I can't remember anymore. It's been so long. Maybe it's the last Meat Piece Ween. I genuinely don't. I just remembered the term, but I genuinely don't remember yeah, what we had decided it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, well. Uh, all right. Let's talk about some <laughs> studio news. All right. So it's been a big, dumb week for the studio. Here's what happened. And I, I say dumb because, well, you'll see. Um, so starting uh, Thursday last week, Sam, Sam was off for a couple of days. And so – uh, the rest of us in the studio kind of looked at each other. We were like, "Quick, Sam's gone. Do as much programming stuff as possible." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> programming time. Sam's always coming in, being like, "We need to get these pictures into stuff." Uh, but when he's gone, you know, there's no pictures to mm-hmm. put in stuff, and so, so now we can all just like go and do a bunch of dumb programming stuff. Uh, and so we we were looking around and we were like, "What's like a big programming thing that we can do that doesn't have pictures involved?" <laughs> And and of course, it was uh, getting literally all of our games converted to Game Maker two point three, the new version of Game Maker. Uh, so that was like all of Thursday and Friday. We did that, ran a bunch of tests, but also as a tools focused studio, we have a lot of of stuff that we have made. Stuff meaning pieces of software that we have made to make our game development lives easier. But all that software revolved around Game Maker 2.2, the previous version of Game Maker. So none of our tools were, would have worked um, with this new version, except that Adam and Schur had been spending the prior several weeks getting all of our tools uh, rebuilt for this new, this new thing. Um, so we had to then, over the past week, convert all the games to Game Maker get all the tools uh, finished up so that they work with Game Maker. Uh, Sam's using new software, so we needed a new art pipeline. So we did that. Uh, and now we – and when I say it's been a dumb week, is because we did – we've been working our asses off for a week to make all these conversions. And where we are now is exactly where we were a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Like the games haven't improved really. Or we haven't really gotten any new features in. We've just like – we just converted stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those weird feelings uh, in dev sometimes where it's it's the same thing as refactoring or any of these other things where it's you gotta you gotta relax and just be focused on the future. 
you know, because sometimes the week that you spend doing stuff is just all about it's all about lining up for good success downstream. But yeah, you gotta you gotta take comfort in the fact that, that where we're at now, we're in a better place. It's just not visible, you know. It's yeah. an invisibly better place. Well, well this, we this are goes hand in hand with the idea yeah. that the the best thing you can do as a programmer is find code to delete. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Less stuff to maintain, cleans up your code base. If the thing isn't there, it can't have an error, you know, all that good stuff. Right. So I think this, this idea really goes hand in hand, which is like it, we feel like productivity means create a thing that a person can see or that does a thing or whatever. Right. Uh, but I think as you, as you evolve along the, the productivity path, the productivity spectrum, um, it's actually clearing space for things to get made and done is where most productivity actually happens is in the, it's in the runway clearing. Right. And so that means anything you can delete, anything you can refactor, anything you can update so that it's less likely to be buggy. So you can take advantage of new features, blah, blah, blah. All that kind of stuff is actually where most of your productivity gains come from allowing each now ounce of work where you do create something, um, to have far more leverage than it previously would have. I would actually think about this in maybe a different term. It sounds like what you're talking about is technology. You know, technology is essentially having a better way to to do something. That's mm-hmm. sort of in summary. And uh, productivity is is just like your ability to produce, right? So better technology is the number one driver of productivity. It's not just sort of like grinding it out. That's not going to be. You can't improve the rate at which you produce by just working harder because that's a finite resource. It's all about the technology. But it's also it's simplifying your, your product itself, right? Because yeah. your product is built out of technology. That's just how things work, right? Uh, but if you, the more you simplify how the thing is made, then the easier it is to change how it's made. Um, and the more you spend time just packing packing it full of stuff and making it more and more complicated, the the more and more you get diminishing returns over time. So the more you can delete and remove over time, the higher leverage things get to continue to be. The more you just add over time, the more costly it is to add each subsequent thing. And therefore, the less worth it is. Which we actually, I mean, we saw this with all of our past tools. Like uh, our, our resistance level to making changes to our past pipeline was very high because it was so fucking hard to do it. Uh, and, and like we sketch ideas are a good example. Uh, that, that thing remained unchanged for three years. I want to say completely unchanged. Yep. Didn't touch anything. Known bugs, known missing features of an infinite list. Right. Uh, and we didn't touch any of it because it was too hard. And so it wasn't worth the, the leverage was just always too low. Um, and so we're trying to move into a space now where we are constantly in a high leverage tooling place as well as a high leverage product place so that our products are as simple as they can be so that the leverage question gets to kind of be taken out or the difficulty part of the question gets to go away as much as possible. Then it's just, then it's just priorities Yeah, at that point. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so we've gotten into a much better place. Um, it's going to be much easier to develop everything going forward. Um, we've got our pipelines rebuilt so that Sam can make a bunch of art very quickly and get it into the game very easily. Um, we're just kind of, you know, it's been, a, so when I say it's been a dumb week, I mean, in the sense that it's one of those 
times where like you work really hard for a while and then what you look at is like no, no visible change has occurred. Yeah, this is where your but, manager is like, I don't understand. What did you do this week? Yeah. Like, Where's my everything. deliverable? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and, but the fact is that, you know, because we took the time to do this, uh, you know, we're going to save ourselves months of work uh, later on. So that's, that's the goal here. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, all right. You guys have, have any final thoughts on that? On this, uh-uh. this week of conversion? Nope. Although we, all right. we said uh, last week, I think, that we were going to start open sourcing some of our tools. Um, so that, that has begun. So the, the, the part of the art pipeline that does our image correction, um, which is basically some auto cropping and then some, some little, some little stuff to make it so that when, when your sprites are drawn on the screen, they don't have fucky edges. Cause that's a thing mm-hmm. that you have to deal with. Uh, yep. so that's now live. It's called Sprightly. Um, you can find this and any of the things that we open source moving forward on our GitHub, which is github.com slash bscotch. Um, the next thing, the thing I'm most excited about, uh, which is not ready yet, is our general game maker puppeting uh, program that basically opens up a game maker project and then internalizes everything and allows you to just inject shit into it. So you can be like, ooh, I want to take this folder of images and turn it into a bunch of sprites inside of game maker automatically, Boom. just in a batch. And you just run one command, boom, it's done. Um, so we have all of this working, but it's not just, we haven't used it enough to know just how broken it is, you know? Uh, so before we release that in a while, we want more testing. But I'm very excited about actually getting that into people's hands. Yeah. You know, it's about time. It's about time after putting in all this work that uh, that we get to show it to the yeah. world. Instead, Because all people really get to see is the games and the website, like the outcome of the fact that we've done all these things. Yep. But people don't really get to experience how cool these tools are, you know? Until now. Until soon. Until soon. <laughs> uh, all right, so last thing we want to talk about before we get on to questions is uh, this this thing about GDC master classes. So I'm I'm going to play the person who doesn't know anything is because that, I play don't. acting. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> totally play acting. So, it's totally uh, not real. He knows, he knows everything. Yeah, explain so, like I'm fine. So the, the gist on? of this is okay. So GDC Game Developers Conference. We talked about this a jillion times in the podcast. It's the it's the the game dev thing of the year, or at least historically has been. Uh, increasingly, year over year, people have been more and more angry and frustrated about the fact that it is in San Francisco. The Ticket price, all the tickets are expensive, but the all-access ticket is $2,000. So speakers get, don't get paid. Speakers don't get paid. I think they got paid last <laughs> year for the first time ever. Um, oh, yeah, right. It wasn't a lot, given the work that you're putting in to, to put a talk together. But, uh, but yeah, so, so – and then it is kind of like the event. So, so it's just assumed that if you are – that if you're in the games industry, then you just kind of have to go there, right, to meet all, meet all of your fellow devs, to meet publishers, to meet – uh, basically everybody involved with the, with the process. So there's been this accessibility problem all along. It continues to get worse. Um, and then, of course, once the United States became a, uh, let's say, fascist hellhole uh, and stopped <laughs> right. allowing people to come in as part of that, that journey, uh, then it made it even worse so that now all of a sudden all these people who even were invited to speakers just like couldn't actually get in, couldn't yeah, get into could, the country. There, there, were people who, there were people who actually – uh, got here and then were sent back home. Yes, 
Yeah. Like they flew all the way to the US and then just got sent back home. Yeah. And this was, and so, so, so Rami Ismail, uh, formerly of Vlambeer, um, was always really involved with this because uh, one of the things that he'd been trying to do over the past few years is find ways to help people from other countries get enough funding, basically, or, or set programs with GDC or whatever to get them to GDC to give talks and stuff. So he's been, he's been pushing on this accessibility thing. And so the past few years in particular, he's been quite irate about the fact that he has lined up all these speakers, got them all paid for, and then all of a sudden they couldn't get into the country and that kind of shit, right? Uh, so, so he then started GameDev.World, which is this online conference allowing for global stuff, which I think the first year was last year. Um, and uh, so this is, this is all down to the backstory, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so GDC this past year didn't exactly ha- sort of happened. Uh, it was a weird clusterfuck. Everybody got refunded, so that was great. They put stuff online. This coming year, they're apparently going to do some sort of a hybrid, real life online event for GDC, which is dumb, but they'll do their thing. Uh, and but they, as part of that announcement, they said also we're doing a new thing this year, which is master classes in December, so a few months before GDC. Uh, so everyone's like, oh, cool. This sounds like a neat, neat thing. Like they're very excited about this. They announced the lineup. It's a really nice selection of, of people from the industry. Um, talking about all kinds of stuff, talking about trailers, talking about community management, talking about some aspects of game design. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I can't remember what the whole list was, but it's like six, six different master classes. Uh, so that sounded cool. Um, and then they came out with the price tag and it was a thousand bucks to go to one of these classes. And by go to, yeah, I per, mean per class, per class. Uh, per person per class. So a thousand bucks. Is it, is it limited uh, seats? Like is it it's limited is seats? It, uh, I think it's up to fifty, okay. I believe. Um, so so then this sort of just kickstarted the firestorm of hate against GDC all over again because it's just and again it's like it's price out of reach and I think to me there was a bunch of interesting nuanced stuff going on here because we have two competing problems right one is you want to have these things be accessible to everyone and accessible. The most accessible thing is a free thing, right? So, so you have a push towards a thing not costing any money for for an attendee or for or for a consumer of whatever the thing is that you're making, right? Uh, we also believe that people should get paid for their work, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have a push going the other way to have the thing cost as much money as possible so that you can pay the person who's doing the work to do it. Okay. We also ignore certain kinds of work, right? Because the, the immediate questions that were coming out were, okay, well, how much, and these are fair questions, were how much are the people doing the workshops going to get paid? So right, someone, if there's 50 seats at a thousand bucks a pop, yeah, yes, 50, there's a $50,000 pool yeah. there potentially yeah. that you get to yeah. take home, right? <laughs> That's uh, pretty big. And so, so it's huge. Um, but there's also, what if only six people come, right? And you put in all that work. So now if you're the, if you're the organizer of such an event, in order to get somebody to come, you have to be able to pay them enough to make it worth their while, even if not that many people show up, right? Uh, and so now you basically are acting as an insurance sort of system where you need to make sure that there's enough money involved that even if there aren't enough attendees, like you don't lose money in the process, but also you as the organizer have people that you have to pay and have infrastructure that you've built and like the whole thing, right? So, and we believe people should get paid for their work. We forget that that includes the people who organize things, right? Yes. So, so it's sort of like, it's one of those things too. It's like, you like, you'll go to the store and be like, you'll look at some item and you're like, why the fuck does this cost this much? I could make this for like, for, you know, 10% of this cost. It's like, well, did you factor in the fact that it was made somewhere else by a bunch of human beings? 
and they had to mm-hmm. ship it here. And there are people who staff this store who have to get paid, et cetera, et cetera. Right? There's overhead that we all sort of forget about. <laughs> so I've been watching this. this yeah. Well, you this say dialogue. I can make this for ten percent of the. Uh, you could say like I can make this for ten percent of the cost over the course of six hours. Yeah. Right. And it's like it's like it's. What about your labor? Somebody would be, yeah. Somebody would be paid for those six hours under a normal, you know, yeah. scenario. Yeah, you're just it's giving your just for materials. Free, right? so. so this is this to me where yeah. this all then becomes really, really interesting because because this is what it feels like to me is kind of happening. Which is, I think the the gut reaction is is totally valid because GDC is absolutely a ripoff. Right? It is way too fucking expensive. It's absurd that it's in San Francisco. The list goes on and on, and that they don't pay their speakers. Uh, so so. It is completely fair to just assume that this is also a shit show coming coming out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far from all the speakers who are doing it, um, none of them have actually voiced any complaints. And somebody actually had a breakdown of what their payment was going to be, which is still leaning very heavily on the GDC side. Um, because I think it was basically they they get like – there's some minimum they get, which is like 3000 bucks or something. I can't, remember what the, I can't remember for sure, so don't quote me on that. But And then for every person above like 10 people or something that actually pays for it, then the speaker gets 200 bucks out of the 1,000, right? <laughs> so it's a decent fraction, but the part that we don't know, of course, is how much does it cost to put this thing on, right? Uh, and and then how much does it cost the person to prepare? Because we know, we've all given talks, right? And we've what we've said historically is basically you should assume it's going to take 40 times as much time to create a talk as it does to give the talk, right? Um, for a masterclass, that it's must because masterclass is event. Yeah, it's a six-hour yeah. event. Masterclasses are expected to be way more intense than your normal like workshop, right? Because a workshop is actually a little less effort to put together than a talk. A masterclass is probably the same, but now expanded over six hours, right? So if you think of the amount of fucking labor that's going into this thing, like if somebody's told me like I will pay you three thousand dollars for a masterclass, I would actually. I would not know if that was worth my time. Right? I, I would say it's not. It's probably There's not. no way. Because also, if you're somebody who has the ability to teach a master class. Your time is probably more valuable than that. Your time is valuable because you're really, really good at something that you're probably you know, getting paid to do. Yeah, exactly, right? So, <laughs> uh, so this is where it gets – Under so, normal circumstances. So yeah, this is where it gets really interesting, right, is – is the, then the, the floor on this has to be high enough to be worth it to mm-hmm. actually be able to – Get your masters to show up. Yeah, get your right. masters to show up <laughs> um, unless your masters just are willing to do it for free, right? So then now we get to the part where like as far as I can tell from, from now Rami putting this thing together, uh, th- their goal is to pay people, right? But they, they want to hit this like $50 to $100 price point but still have a cap on like 50 seats. So now you're talking a maximum a – maximum who's goal. they? For the, the, the non GDC, the non GDC one, the competing ones. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. spinning up. So, so now they're talking like, so, so let's say you chose fifty bucks a head and you got fifty people, right? Yeah, twenty five hundred dollars. That is not enough to to reasonably pay the person who's doing the thing, and also pay the organizers. Yeah, it's not enough for anybody, just even by itself. So jack it up to a hundred bucks, right? Five thousand dollars. I could say, okay, now at that point. Maybe you are able to pay the person who's actually putting the thing on. But what about the infrastructure? What about the organizers? Mm-hmm. Can't pay for that, right? So the only way for that to work is if the people organizing it are donating their time, which may be what actually happens here, right? And that, Which is a great it's – a, it's a wonderful thing. But that directly goes against the whole point of like everybody should be being paid for their work. We're going to fight this thing because we don't think people are being paid enough. By And the only way we can afford to do it at a steeply discounted rate is by – 
Making people not get paid. Making people not get paid, right? And again, right. like well, the details of right. the actual amounts matter a lot as to like how much this can make sense and whether it's going to yeah. work. Um, but I think it was just, it was, it was just really interesting to me to watch this happen because it was this like, it was this, it was this opposing, right? It was this opposing ideals problem where you can't have, you can't have both things. You can't have people get paid right. well and th- have things be accessible. It's not possible. So you have to try to find somewhere to meet in the middle. And it is very likely that GDC did not hit that. The, my bigger question with GDC is actually with the, with this thing they're putting on is who the fuck is this for? Right. Who is going to spend a thousand dollars to go to these events? Because the same people who are giving all these events also give away fucking infinite content for free via their Twitter and blog posts and so on and so forth. Right. Right. Um, so they're already doing that for free. It's like this stuff is already available. This is the kind of stuff that AAA studios already have whole teams doing all of this stuff. Right. And those are the ones who can afford it. So who yeah. is this so for? Is, it, is my so question. So if it's targeting, if it's targeting, you know, mid sized and independent studios, uh, that's a bit of a rough proposition at that point, right? Yeah. Because you don't necessarily have the cash to be like, yeah, everybody on our team, go take a master class. Uh, also, to be honest, like if I was going to have everyone on our team take a master class, it would be a longer formed master class than a half a day. Yep. And it would have feedback sessions and stuff like that involved. More like the, I mean, like we've talked about the classes we take for that I take for the art or, or um, basically anything where you can actually get feedback from showing people your work. Because yeah. it's one thing to, to essentially have a master class that's a long-form lecture, which is very different than, than having one that is actually in class where you have assignments and, and that sort of thing, as far as just the learning yeah. goes. So yeah, I, it's, a, it's a weird one, but I do know that, because um, I know the way, the way that Game Dev World is supported is by uh, corporate sponsorship, right? Yep. And so I, my guess would be that probably they would be doing the same thing for this, because that's essentially the way that you, you would try to shortcut the whole thing, right? Which yeah. is to bring in a like third- ad money. Yeah, bring in a third entity uh, to to bulls, to basically pay into the system, such that yeah, everyone yeah, people pay fifty bucks or whatever ahead per class. But if you have and then Microsoft these, comes in and pays like fifty thousand dollars, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, now it's the Microsoft event, uh, yeah. and everyone's happy. Yeah. And so <laughs> there are there are other ways to do it. So that'd be my guess as far as how that would actually pay. Well, I think out that would ha- effectively, yeah, because that would have to happen because there's basically there's not enough money involved. And this this has been interesting, right? Because GDC Correct. normally also as an event is subsidized like fucking Correct. crazy from large companies spending huge amounts of, of advertising money on it. Right. And despite that, it's still completely inaccessible as an event. Right. Uh, and so the GDC workshops probably also will be being subsidized. Or when I say subsidized, I mean, there will be more money in there. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, but, but yeah, but it's, but now that, so yeah, now you have this like conflict where it's like, okay, so it's going to charge a thousand bucks, probably also have to look at ads basically, right. And it's to do, uh, to have this thing be generating the money the way the GDC would want to do it. Um, and then you have this other entity that's trying to have it pay as little as, or trying to have people pay as little as possible. And the only way to do that, as Sam said, is to subsidize it somehow. Um, the money has so to come from somewhere. It has to come from somewhere. Well, I, think, I, think I, also right just, I also want to just kind of throw out the idea here that an event that has a a small number of limited seats is not an accessible event yes, by I definition. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no matter what the price is, yeah. If so it's then the question free, is, you still have to decide who, who even gets to come. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and, and most so, people who you want to be able to come can't, right? So almost everyone, in fact. Yeah, and so so to me, actually, the, yeah. the, so after thinking about all this stuff, I was like, really, this is like what GDC doing is honestly fine because they're making a thing that probably nobody really needs, right? Uh, Except the people who want to spend a thousand dollars on yeah, it, I guess. and they can probably charge yeah. that much because of the fact that they are only allowing fifty seats, right? So. Yeah. 
this is frankly, I think, an entertainment event, <laughs> like if, if, if anything, where there's a very limited resource of a thing. It's already not available. It's already like if you want to get in there, you can't if, if they actually if – they, if they said this is $50, right? Well, shit, now you're going to have literally thousands of people trying to get into it, but only 50 get to come in. So you get to keep on moving that price up until you find that – find a threshold where you actually – Cut out enough people. You just cut out enough people, seats are but, no still, <laughs> but still fill it. Now, the seats are no longer a limiting factor, but the price is. But either way. There's a limiting factor in both. Either way, there's a limiting factor. So, so to me, this yeah. whole idea of being like, okay, so let's, let's not, instead of having that event, let's have a cheaper event that only 50 people can go to, is, is just absurd. Because if the whole point is accessibility, then the thing needs to be available The format broadly. of a limited seat workshop is not is by, is by definition a very exclusive event. Yeah. Um, so exclusive meaning it excludes almost everybody who wants to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, uh, but my bet is with like the stuff that Rami's doing is they'll, they'll maybe then they'll make it, make it online available after the fact as like a thing you can watch versus a workshop. It's a thing that you interact with presumably, you know, so, so yeah. there, there's some differences there that, that I imagine that they'll do, but, but just out of the gate, like, like doing that instead of just having some talks, you know, which then now you're just back at a regular conference and, that, and then you've already got gamedev.world or GDC, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, this this conversation has been a really interesting one over the course of the time that we've been in the indie game scene because, you know, there there was a time where where we had under $500 in the bank, in the bank as a company, you know? And I remember seeing uh, like when Steam announced their new Steam Direct at a hundred dollar, hundred dollar price point to publish a game, um, and there was actually there was a pretty big uproar uh, mm-hmm. from the indie community that that this is an insurmountable obstacle for for a lot of of independent game developers, and uh, I don't know. It was just it was it's the, the framing of this stuff is kind of interesting because before before this um, before the Steam Direct, there was a different obstacle, which was you need to have. 3000 likes on your game through steam Greenlight. Yeah. That's, in, that's insurmountable for most games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to think and, that surmounting it doesn't cost you money is, is completely yeah, absurd. Like you would have to spend hundreds of hours trying yeah. to get those 3000 mm-hmm. likes, which you could also go mow, mow a couple lawns for a few hours and get your hundred bucks to just publish it. So actually, well, it's, that's not, it's really true. Yeah, this yeah. is the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it depends where you are extensively yeah. on on yeah. where you are, but the but the the broader point is that uh, is that you can the the lines of accessibility are arbitrarily drawn based on your particular scenario, right? So um, you need a laptop, you need a Unity license, you need a stable internet, you need a lot of things, you know, to to make mm-hmm. a video game. Potentially, you need a team of people. You need. Uh, you need a support system that allows you to take the years of time. Like if you look at a game like Stardew Valley, you know, this guy was supported by his girlfriend for five years to make mm-hmm. this game. Um, and if he didn't have that, we, we wouldn't have uh, Stardew Valley. Like, there's, a, there's a huge number of costs and sacrifices uh, that it takes to do any of these things. And I always think it's kind of interesting to see where it is in the, in the pipeline of obstacles that, that people, people suddenly <laughs> get upset about. Well, know, it's like with anything uh, I'm talking about, right? It's, it's when you can put a number on it, when you can measure it, then yep. whether or not the thing is the right thing to be. It's not a number. It's a dollar like that. Yeah. Because, because you can have any, you could, something could take 
five years, 200,000 human hours of work, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and people don't really bat an eye about the accessibility of that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but if then it's, if, if to, if to bring it from that step to the final point of delivery, you know, it's a hundred. And I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I was pissed off when I had to pay $50 to get my diploma. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, like it for some reason didn't really, didn't really chafe me in the same way to pay the tens of thousand dollars to take the classes to get well, up I to think, that point I think and it, to put in the four years. I think it did. It was that, <laughs> it was that, it was adding that on top, right? Because in that case, it was actually, it was an, it was an yeah. insignificant number compared to what you'd already paid. And therefore, on principle, they shouldn't have asked for that at all. Right. 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 Um, yeah, it's just offensive yeah, it, at that point. Which, which I mean, I, which yeah. I can also see to some extent. Right? Like, if you spend, you know, three years making a game, and like that's all you do, and you and you have no money because you are just being supported to do it, and you're like burning all of your savings to get there, blah blah blah. So you spend all this time, you finally get it done. You, you've been spending hundreds of hours on social media, like garnering support, and like you're ready to launch this thing, and like and you've got this great product, and you're ready to go. And then you go to Steam to upload it, and it seems like, oh, we're also going to need a hundred bucks, right? It feels, it feels a little unnecessary, you know, right? To to have that, um, and, and in a lot of ways, actually, it is because the question is like, what is that hundred dollars doing um, when uh, when you have to pay it to to gain entry to the thing? Because also, it's not so high that most people can't find a way to do it, right? Right. They may be angry about it, and it may be difficult. Yeah. Depending on yeah, depending on where you are and your circumstance, you know, hundred dollars could be a Pretty tough number to to hit, yeah. right? Or it may be a drop in the bucket for you, also depending on your circumstance, yeah. you know. So it's uh, it it is going to disproportionately hit different different people. Yeah. Well, and, and then uh, we and then we assume that the main reason that they have that is to make it so that a person can't just publish five thousand correct clones of the same thing to flood the store because it's, it's going to cost them more. It's to try to it's a it's a hoop. To try to make it so that only people who genuinely believe in the in the possibility of success for their game in the marketplace view it just simply as an investment cost yep. of mm-hmm. saying like I'm I'm running a business I'm selling this game and I understand that as a business I have to sometimes have expenses in order to deliver my product right um, and this is this is one of those final expenses on the path to getting my product out into the market. Um, and that because I believe that my product can make far more than a hundred dollars, then it's yeah, completely it's fine. fine, you know. But um, we also talk about you know it costs I think what like a thousand bucks or something for a PlayStation dev kit. Yeah, uh, cost another what seven hundred bucks or something for the Xbox dev kit. Uh, the Switch ones were I remember how much. Yeah, dev That's kits. Are, yeah, dev kits are expensive. Yeah, so between like all of our yeah. dev kits, I mean, we've had to spend like five freaking G's. Just to yeah. have the device to be able to put things to on and make sure to find out if we can make and make sure that it works. Yeah. When the company at the end of the day, PlayStation or Xbox or whatever, they're gonna make more than that much money off of our fucking game because they take thirty percent of it. Also, so I everybody got, takes thirty yeah. percent. So yeah. it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get that there's some of this. Well, but also not necessarily right because because if if they if they gave death kits away, 
Just yeah, they have right? to do. They have to do it yeah. this way. Yeah, they, they have to. Have to. There, there has yeah. there has to be some gate, right? But the, well, it, this is this. It's the skin in the game question, right? Yeah. It's like. But the problem is that that that, and this is where the this is where the truth of this problem is, right? Is that is that what it means that like the height of that gate is not the same for everybody, right? When the, yes. the gate yes. is X units high, but depending on where you are in the world, where you are in your life, where just that your whole situation. That that gate may be insurmountable uh, for somebody else. Like we were saying, like it might be. So like so for us now, as as a studio who has spent our money fairly wisely and has been lucky in a bunch of ways and had a game or two that were successful, like we can just do that. We can now just buy a dev kit, right? It's part of doing business. It's fine. Uh, if we go back seven years ago, we would net we couldn't we wouldn't have bought no one. way. It was not possible. Yeah, no um, way. And so, yeah, so I think this is this this new the nuance of this discussion of like what it means for a thing to be accessible, uh, where should the barriers be drawn? How do you deal with the nuance? Because of course, like if you're Nintendo and somebody comes to you with a really great game but can't afford the barriers to entry, you would love to be able to say, oh yeah, we have a team whose job is to be the the point that you reach out to and you say like, hey, here's this cool thing. Here's my pitch. Can you can I get a dev kit for free because I can't afford one, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but now Nintendo has to pay for that thing to exist, right? And yes. they'll pay to ship it to you and everything else. Yeah, money you know. is yeah, money has to be flowing in all scenarios. Some, and somebody's so, going to eat the cost. Yeah. Yep. And the hope is, yeah. and the hope is somebody does, and the hope is the right person does, right? The hope is that like Microsoft, infinite fucking money. Nintendo, not nearly as infinite, but a lot of fucking money, right? The hope <laughs> is that they do actually have those teams because they can afford to. They they truly can, right? And so so it's. And like Steam, same deal. Steam has infinite money. Uh, there, there's no reason for them not to have a team whose job it is to find accessible ways for people with good stuff to get into the system, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that they don't have that is definitely an accessibility it's pro- it's issue, a problem. and it's a yeah. real problem. Um, but it, it is this, this question I'm doing. It's like it's not, it's not a problem that a hundred dollars is the thing, right? The problem is that there's not an additional system that allows you to bypass that. Where Steam is spending extra money, some of the thirty percent of all the money that we've paid them over time, for example, right, uh, to 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 have a system that allows people to bypass that in circumstances that makes sense. But yeah. I think well, if a hundred dollars is is to ensure quality, if you can prove quality, then maybe you shouldn't have to spend hundred dollars. Yeah, you, should, well, you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have to spend that. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is where the, the wrinkle comes with something like GDC, though, right? Because GDC is not a platform that makes money based on our games in the same way that all these other things do. Uh, literally, they make money just by people showing up to the conference, right? Yeah. Uh, which is and where by, all not, and by not paying their speakers, right? Yes, right. And by, by actually getting everybody's free free labor, essentially, right? Yep. Um, but I think this is, where, this is actually where things get really complicated. Again, because of the corporate sponsorship thing. Because, mm-hmm. so say you're, say you're doing a, you know, a, a counter event to something like this, and it is run through corporate sponsorship. Um, if it's the case, as it often is, that you know, your sponsor requires then, like they get to dictate terms for a whole variety of things uh, about, because you've got to keep them happy because they're literally paying you. It's, it's, it's the whole paying, getting one, one customer versus you know, a thousand is sort of the idea uh, with that approach. And you have to keep that person very happy. Uh, otherwise it's, it's going to go poorly. So then you have the horror like, Oh yeah, well we're in the, we're in the pocket of Microsoft, but I mean, you know, we're putting on this event for free for everybody else, but also Microsoft, uh, go Microsoft. Microsoft You'll see a lot of as your product placement. Yes. There's no such thing as a, as a free lunch. Yeah, right? Which is really, you know, this is some, all one long argument to say that we need universal basic income. And yep. There it is. 
<laughs> Andrew Yang. Also, Andrew Yang's coming on the podcast. Uh, yeah, he's not actually a big interview. No, he's not. <laughs> That would be pretty dope, though. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's uh, just one of those stupid things. Like, it's the, <laughs> the the only thing that, that because everything involved with this whole process is a business, right? And 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 or an economic entity as a person, right? And because we have all collectively and across the whole fucking world agreed that like dollars, dollars are how you create thresholds. Dollars are how you evaluate everything. Blah blah blah. Then there's no way around that. That's what's being used as like the metric for correct the gatekeeping. And the only way around it is if everybody just had just enough, right, that they actually could participate more in all of the things, right? So, yeah, long story short, that's what we need. But in the interim, all these rich companies should stop being <laughs> assholes and should actually have systems to pay and pay. They're expensive. They are expensive, but they have infinite fucking money, right? So they should have systems to allow bypassing these things. Mm-hmm. Well, I would I would argue, though, that it's, it's not about – it's not about being assholes. <laughs> it's, it's more about, it's more about, it's just not something that they ever have to think about. They don't have to do it. To that, it's not on their radar. Not being an asshole. Cause they, they, there's no way they don't know. There's no mm. way you don't know that you've created a system that isn't accessible. There's That's no way point. you don't know that. Uh, is a lack of consideration being an asshole? Cause that I, think, was I, think, I, think, I think, well, no, I mean, there's, you know, there's that, what is that, uh, about mistaking in, incompetence for malice, right? It's the idea of like just uh, not being aware of something or or not having something like on your radar. But when is incompetence itself malicious? You know what I mean? Because like if you really should fucking <laughs> – this is like saying like oh, – yeah. I think there's definitely a point where it, where it reaches that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and I think fair, when it comes right? to economic unfairness, right, if you d- aren't aware that that exists, right – then your incompetence is at asshole level. There's I would no, say, I would say more no importantly, <laughs> not if because like this is what it's one thing to say this about uh, basically smaller companies, but I think mm-hmm. as soon as you get into the like we have tens of thousands of employees, Mark. Yeah, and what's no five more fucking employees? It. You know, yeah, and, and no one's thinking exactly. Part, yeah, right. yeah. If you're a small company, you, you usually can't afford it. You don't have enough time. You don't have money to know enough people. That all makes sense. You might actually have enough of any one of those things, but not all of them, right? Um, if you're one of these huge companies, like I just, I, I don't think it is possible to say that the company is not an asshole if it doesn't have systems. If to it has allow. a trillion dollar market cap and, and hasn't figured anything out. Yeah. You're just an asshole. Well, well the, the company is an amoral profit maximizing. Yes. An asshole. Which sounds general, like an asshole. To right? me. It sounds yeah. a lot like So, <laughs> so it's going to do all kinds of terrible things and all kinds of good things. And it, all arbitrarily in the service of making as much money as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Yep. So mm-hmm. people people get grinded under the gears. Uh, people get excluded. Um, but that's 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 the system that somehow we've yeah. all agreed is the one that we're going to so, use. Universal basic income. <laughs> capitalism is bad. Uh, what are the, yep, what are the, know, what are the takeaways we got here? Those are the big ones, I think. Those are the big two. The big two. So Fuck that's where we've landed on this GDC discussion. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get on to uh, probably a question. Yeah, all let's right. do it. These questions, or maybe this question, this question. Comes, comes from uh, our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you'd like to get your question onto the podcast, just go there and then do it. Highest up for the question comes from Chalosis, who says... How does your remote project management and co-working system work now that you've been honing it for a while? Mm. I'll just say one thing. Monday.com has a dark mode now. And so Get that's really it. it. Our lives are now complete. 
Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but seriously, we've been using Monday uh, for just about everything we can because it has this really like flexible way of building different uh, sort of like dashboards and workstations. So we use it to manage our builds. We use it to manage our daily tasks, our studio priorities, studio contacts, uh, managing timelines for sales events and what, like what, anything that we need to, to keep track of or communicate about. We just have a, a Monday board for that thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, otherwise for the moment to moment, it's all discord all the time. So we still got all of our, yeah. got our discord offices. We have our morning meeting, have our evening meeting, um, meetings throughout the day. Uh, but yeah, it's all just in discord. I will say though, we had a, we had a great change to our afternoon stand down. Uh, so our, our afternoon stand down is at the end of each day, everybody, we all have a, a quick meeting where everybody kind of talks about what they accomplished that day and you know, just kind of how it went and what they're, what they're thinking about for, for tomorrow. Um, however, uh, it was very freewheeling, you know, so every now and then one of us would be working on something like very complicated and sort of like in the weeds or whatever. Um, and, and nobody else in the studio may really have like a sense of the nuances of all the reasons why this is interesting or a big deal or whatever. Uh, but we would just be pumped about it anyway. So we would be like, all right, here we go. 10 minutes. I'm going to be for 10 minutes. I'm going to be talking about here's a lecture on how this particular art thing works. And yeah. Like, and of course there's I six of us, yeah. which means like on a, on an afternoon meeting, um, you know, if, if one of us goes way over time, then the other, the rest of us either have to decide, like, do I just say two words so we can get this meeting over with, or do I also actually talk about the thing that I, you know, mm-hmm. did today? So we updated our afternoon meeting to be basically a two-minute show-and-tell presentation where you you have two minutes to basically, like, talk about the biggest, baddest stuff you did today. Um, and it's been a, it's been a great shift actually yeah it's been very um, fun yeah i think that's, that's yeah. the most recent change to all of the the systems i will say though from our from our quarterly i think the the weirdest thing about this the remote transition and then all the systems that we've uh sort of collected around to manage everything has been that, that this was was uh the first time where we didn't have any major through lines as far as like things that obviously needed to be changed or be updated and stuff like that and so uh it's been Basically, it's been really good, I guess, as long as short of it. Um, and the systems to manage that are these stand-up meetings in the morning where we just kind of shoot the shit for a few minutes and then talk, and then everyone gives a brief what they're doing. Any collaborations get organized. And then it's off to what we call accelerators, which are one-on-ones uh, between a lead and your person where you go over the work that was done the day prior, answer any questions, review everything, approve anything, whatever, uh, and then assist with basically planning out the day for each individual employee. Then from there, you go work do meetings, whatever, and then do stand down, which now has transferred from this sort of weirdly structured, not structured, and people are just talking for 15, 30 minutes uh, to <laughs> now everybody gets two minutes and then you shut up and leave. Um, and I will say- because yeah, we're wrapping thing, up the day, so, you know, just get it yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the weirdest thing to me about, actually about the, the remote shift, because I know that like from all the research that's come out is that remote workers work an, a- an average of like, like a 15 to 20% more, something crazy. Like it's basically- Time is all leaky because there's no longer a, a hard start and stop to the day. Um, but because yeah. of our system that we've employed. We don't. Yeah, we yeah, don't. I feel like I'm actually working leak. far more regularly, at least during the work. I still work in the evenings for fun sometimes, but it doesn't, it's not a, it doesn't just continue. Like it's not from nine in the morning until 7 p.m. It's nine to five. 
and then I'll yep. go do and some then, other stuff. Yeah, and then maybe you come back and do some other And work. then maybe I'm interested and I want to go poke around something, um, which is a very different feeling overall in terms of like work-life balance than being like, fuck, it's 7 p.m. I haven't done anything else aside from, you know, this particular thing in my life uh, and I need to take care of stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. It's been good. Yeah, that's something that uh, that Sam and I were talking about the other day is – there's one there's one thing that I personally have a hard time with with the remote work, which is the lack of chaos. So <laughs> one of the things mm-hmm. that would always happen when we were working in the same office is, you know, we'd all break for lunch about the same time. You know, you'd see somebody hop up off their computer and start heading down to the kitchen. And you'd be like, oh, you know what? I'll take my lunch break. So you go, you know, go down there. Everybody's eating lunch. And just for a half hour, you just kind of uh, – just have a freewheeling discussion about what's going on in the world. What's yeah, going it's always on a random life. pairing too, right? Because like it might be one person to this yeah. person today, two different people tomorrow. It's always like a, yeah. a rotating cast, right? And uh, a lot of times, some of the more interesting ideas um, or like bits of inf- of cool knowledge about another person or or about life or whatever, you know, it comes from those just kind of chance random chaotic uh, conversations that just happen as part of the, as an unstructured part of the the work day you know and it's just not it's just really not possible to do that um to recreate that in a remote work way mm-hmm. unless you specifically go out of your way to be like all right we're going to have a meeting we're going to schedule it because we have to be yep. on you know a call with each other and and the purpose of this meeting is to is just, just to talk <laughs> just yep. to talk about whatever we're feeling, you know. And for some reason that feels weird to to think about it in those terms. Because that's what that's what did happen just on its own, but it feels weird to try to like make it happen, you know. Um so I, I don't know where you guys are at with that. Well there's I mean you yeah, I think you're right. There, there's basically there, there's a serendipity element that you you're sort of swapping what I would view as increased increased overall efficiency and structure. Uh, for due to that, due to, due to less chaos, which again is what gives you the other things, uh, potentially fewer fewer of these sort of mishmash conversations that either lead to maybe greater greater interteam rapport or uh, you know dumb ideas that end up being good ideas. Uh, and it it is weird because it, there's the whole point is that not being intentional is what gives you that. You know, showing up at a networking event and just chatting with people, seeing what happens, going to lunch with like a random person or, or a random three people from your office uh, creates a completely different scenario. And, and there's no way to, there's no way to, to do that when you're trying to apply it structurally because it exists. The structure of that is that it has none. And so that's like, that's what the power comes from. So when, when everything gets transferred to being intentional, which is what happens when you go remote, because nothing happens unless you initiate it remotely, uh, then everything just gets kind of weird. I think in that department. But I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't know if it's like, I still can't tell if it's actually a bad thing or if it's actually happening in the sense that like, you mentioned that there's this, there's this idea that, uh, what is it? Uh, patents go down by 15% when bars and restaurants are closed in a town or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a, I think it was planet money. Um, they were talking the whole time I was listening, I was very skeptical because we were talking about different times during prohibition and other things when, um, Cities or counties in the U.S. would shut down their 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 pubs or their bars or whatever um, when when basically people would stop going to public places for a time. Um, and what would 
invariably happen in these places is that the number of patents being filed from that uh, that part of the world, that city, that county, whatever, would would precipitously drop in a very measurable way. Uh, the problem there is it's hard to tell whether that's real because bars will often close because of some kind of other issue. Like prohibition was also at the same time as the Great Depression, you know, uh, right? So mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, before I think. Yeah, yeah but it was like it was before, right around. But, but it was. Yeah, but yeah, but it's, um, yeah. There's too many confounding factors because also what we also know about prohibition is that it didn't stop anyone from drinking. Correct. So technically, it should have it underground, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, my my bigger question is is follow up question to it after we had discussed it. And I was thinking about it, literally the last couple of days uh, randomly was, but what value were those patents? Because here's the thing: I've met plenty of people who get together, have a drunk conversation, and they're like, "Dude, we should just start." He's a great <laughs> idea, yeah. and I'm like, "Those are not the good. Like, those are not actually million dollar patents." Or billion dollar patents, almost guaranteed. Like usually, the, the really good stuff comes from people who are currently working inside. Like there's there's structures inside of, for example, like Boeing or 3M or whatever else. Like those places churn out these like just massive amounts of patent inventions that are actually the commercially oriented. Like they have a purpose, and that could probably actually capture value. Well, if so you were to speak to uh, to an economist, they would tell you that no patents are of value except for pharmaceutical patents. In terms of – if you do any kind of cost-benefit analysis on the filing of patents, uh, any patent you file outside of pharmaceuticals will cost you far more money than it makes you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's that. There's that angle. You, mm-hmm. you know. So does the measurement matter? I get, this, I get that we were so able to So I guess what we're saying is if you shut down bars, then people will be economically far better off because they'll be losing a lot less money on patents. And on booths. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but but the idea with the bars thing was that like having a having a place where people go and just sort of like bump into strangers um, or just go to meet with with friends from work, you know, or whatever, um, have a couple of drinks, you know, loosen up the brain lobes and just like throw stupid ideas out there. Um, sometimes that could be you know an engine for for really interesting ideas. That otherwise, we wouldn't get counter argument. That's also a recipe for scope creep because you've already got ideas. You've already got enough ideas. You're already working on stuff. You're already working full time, right? So Mm -hmm. if you go to the bar and have just another idea, like that's just – Well, no, Adam, I'm going to turn your words against you here Mm -hmm. because you said that the the best way to make improvements is deleting things, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you go to a bar and you decide you're going to do a new idea and quit your job – then you're not scope creeping because you just deleted a whole bunch of work off your plate and you made a big technological improvement there. You know? yeah, so you're saying so. that we should, <laughs> we should all go to bars again so that we'll all quit butterscotch shenanigans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And go do something even better. Go something else. Uh, yep. That's that, – I mean the, that's what the math says. That is what the math so, says. Like, good thing bars are closed right now. You know? The other thing you could delete <laughs> is – They're not going, though. That's the going to bars. <laughs> Yeah, they're not. They're still. <laughs> uh, they should be, but they're they not. They should be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think my my opinion on this is that uh, is that I haven't felt any ill effects from not having the social chaos, which is also for me is, is social social stuff is not something that I thrive on in any in any meaningful way. Um, and most of them are just always slightly uncomfortable because I just have trouble just like 
I don't know, socializing, I guess. Uh, so it's, it's good for me and I do enjoy it once I'm in it. Um, but for me, it's still mostly just like, it's the social exercise, which is, has, has that inherent value. And, uh, I, I don't think that I'm losing anything by having a more structured way of losing anything from a work standpoint. Um, losing things from a social standpoint is probably true. Um, but, uh, but it is, it is funny though, that the, that the, that the way this conversation orients though, is like how much, how many patents are we missing out by not having people be able to hang out with each other, right? In a less structured way. And like, uh, how well, the, many the ideas are we missing out on, right? Uh, well, the versus pet, just I mean, like, it's, it's probably good for people to socialize with each other, you know? Why we got to put this into a capitalist structure? You know what I mean? Why you got to be Capitalism like, what's, bad. we've already been over this. What's the money value of everyone hanging out at bars? Yeah. I reason. think, yeah. I think what has, a, a large value in life is having fun and interesting things to work on that you think are going to improve the life of others, you know? Agreed. And without, without ideas, you know, without fresh, interesting ideas, it's far harder to do that, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, we definitely don't have enough ideas. So if we that's could. the problem. So uh, please send us your ideas. <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> if you're an idea person, you know, and you just got really good ideas, uh, you know, Ship them our way. Podcast at bscotch.net. Just open email. Yeah. The ideas warehouse is just totally empty. Uh, We got nothing in the tank. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.